Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses here at Little Creek Campus, our South Shore Campus, our Gulf Coast Campus, those of you watching online, Orleans Justice Center and St. Tammany Parish Jail to the second message in our series entitled Summer Playlist. Why don't we go ahead and welcome everyone, all of us together, welcome one another. And for our second message, we have a very special guest who is really part of our family here at Church of the King, and that is Pastor Jeff Little, all the way from Keller, Texas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He and his precious wife, Brandy, uh, planted their church in that area in uh, October of 2002. And uh, they have between five and 6,000 people every weekend, just an awesome church, a dear, dear friend of Pastor Steve. You were in for a treat. Let's give some love to Pastor Jeff as he brings the message. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is awesome to be back at Church of the King. I love coming here. In fact, I love coming for a weekend service and getting a chance to see all of you and share something that I believe God's put on my heart, but I spend a lot of time here anyway. Pastor Steve and I are very close friends, and uh, I have so many friends in Louisiana. I don't know. The world is being changed from Louisiana. I don't ever where I go. There are people, especially uh, in ministry and just relationships. And so I come here a lot, and uh, we get a chance to hunt a little bit together. Come on now. We do that. Yeah, that's our, I mean, we can say that here, I think. All right. So, uh, but anyway, eat some good food. And uh, so I love your pastor. I love the team here. Um, it is really significant. I always love to, to tell you this when I get a chance to see all of your great faces, and I want to welcome those at the campuses and at the Justice Center, those watching online. Uh, it is really significant, your place and your role in my life and the life of our church. Again, Pastor Steve is an overseer to our church, and he's a pastor to me, and uh, he's really one of my closest friends. And uh, we met in 1999, and uh, we started getting connected, and I just invited myself to a staff meeting here at Church of the King. They didn't give me an invitation. I just showed up because I saw what God was doing. Uh, and then in 2002, we planted a church in the Dallas-Fort Worth metropolitan area there and moved from West Texas. I mean, I'm going to tell you, I just it's like we took a trek across the desert. We were scared. We didn't have a lot of resources. Not a lot of people believed in us. Uh, but your pastor and your church stood with us financially in all of the salvations. Last weekend in our church, we had an agnostic person who was baptized. We had people from all different walks of life. So many people coming to know Jesus. I know you think in Texas we all ride horses and everybody has a Bible. But there's so many people moving to our area that are coming to know Jesus. And I always want to remind you, when you give, when you serve on the dream team, even when you share your pastor a little bit, um, I apologize, it's my fault he's not here this weekend. I asked him to go to a church we're working with in Oklahoma City, and uh, we're helping impact pastors and churches. So thank you for giving him some time off. Thank you for sharing him a little bit because you're making an impact in places like Dallas, Fort Worth, Oklahoma City. You're making an impact from right here in this region of the country. So we give God a round of applause for what he's doing. It's really significant. It's really significant. And so, so thankful for you. I'm going to ask if you have your Bibles to turn with me to the Old Testament. The book of Exodus, we're going to look at Exodus 3.10, some passages there, and then Exodus 4.10 as well. I want to jump in on your summer playlist series because you're talking about this idea of a playlist, and I'd like to talk a little bit 
this week about, because a playlist is about something that's repeated. And I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking with you about a question that's repeated in our minds over and over. It's, it, it's something that we find a little bit of help as we start working out our journey. We start working out our life. And if you become a follower of Jesus, it's one of those things that now he starts intersecting with that question, and that is this question, who am I? Who am I? Now, it's a question we all have. It's a question that we work through. By the way, you never graduate from the question. The question keeps going through life. No matter how many successes you have, no matter how many failures you have, no matter how your life changes, you're still simply asking a question, who am I with this success? Who am I in this new transition, into this new season? Now, we don't like to admit that we're asking that question. We, we don't really like to tell anybody, you know. It's not like, you know, you show up at work, you're in the break room, you know, it's like, well, what'd you do this weekend? Well, I went to the game, I spent some time with family. You know, what are you thinking about life? You know, he said, well, well really, I'm, I'm trying to figure out who I am, you know. You don't, it's not part of normal conversation. We don't let everybody know that we're thinking it that much. And we're not even always just cognitively aware that we're thinking it but it is coming into our minds over and over, especially, as I said, in seasons of transition and seasons of life where we feel a little unsafe. I wrote this book. We had some churches join in. We did a, a big uh, small group campaign. You guys do that as a church. We really have the same DNA as you, and, and, and I learned some things through the process. But when we were starting it, I said, I want to get young people involved in this. Because I believe young people today have a unique pressure and they're trying to sort out who they are. And, and really the who am I question is an, it's an identity question. It's really trying to understand your identity. And someone who's pastored people and coached people and worked with people, I find this identity thing is big. So I invited our next gen team together. We got together in their conference room. I said, how can we get young people involved? I said, how can we get them to kind of study this with us? In fact, I wrote a whole chapter on children and teens and the family, and I wanted families to kind of think about this because one of the things I know is a lot of people are concerned about their young people. And so I said, guys, you got to help me out. This is all the cool people, you know, with jeans look like they ran through a barbed wire fence or something, you know? <laughs> I said, what do we need to do to get the young people involved? They said, Pastor, we need some merch. I said, what's merch? Said, Merchandise. We need some swag. I said, well, let's, let's merch it up, brother. Let's swag it down. I mean, what do we need to do? So let's get it, man. T-shirts, what are we going to do? Let's just get it. And they said, we got a problem. I said, what's the problem? They said, you branded the whole thing wrong. Like, no, no young person is going to go to school with a T-shirt that says, who am I? That's like a kick me sign. <laughs> who am I? What am, I, what am I saying? And I, I want you to think about it with me for a second. It, it's something, even the person on the exterior that looks the most confident and successful spends time pondering when they lay their head on the pillow, who am I? Now, I could look at a lot of different places and areas because I've really been studying this for the last few years and I found people throughout the Scripture, here's some good news, people throughout the Scripture struggled a little bit with identity issues. We see it all the way through the Scripture. We see Peter, in fact, Jesus actually asked Peter, who do people say I am? And 
Peter said, you're the Christ, and then he learned a little bit about who he was, and you can look at David, and you can look at the struggles with Saul, and you can look at David saying, who am I that you are mindful of me, that you think about me? There's all these characters through the Scripture, and we could look at different ways that we struggle with the question when it comes to comparison, when it comes to loneliness, when it comes to how to handle success. But I want us to look and hone in on this first part of it that I think is one of the greatest blocks to answering the who am I question and to getting to your next step, and that is, who am I when I feel insecure? Insecurity and fear and anxiety is all over our world today. When you feel unsafe, when you feel insecure, when you're not sure when you're trying to take a step, but you don't know if it's God's will because I don't know about all the variables. What do I, what do, I do when I feel insecure? Well, I'll tell you one place in my life that has caused me the greatest joy, but it's also brought me to the level of my inadequacy. I'd like to show you a little picture of my family. Come on now. I love them. They're awesome. Um, but I have them from 18, the blonde there. She's 18, just graduated from high school. She's going to Baylor University this fall. That's where, if you guys from Louisiana don't know where that is, it's like it's Jerusalem on the Brazos. God's presence dwells there in tangible form. Hallelujah. But that's a different message. Anyway, she's going to Baylor. My son's 17 years old. And then I have my daughter, Lauren Elizabeth, who's now joined the teenager ranks. Come on, parents of teenagers. Can I have an amen? And then this is my little bright light, Lainey Kate. She's seven years old. And notice I said I have them from 18 to seven. Somebody say, pray for him, Lord. Come on now. But, but really, they're trekking along. They're making it, but you know, I just learned, I've learned a lot from being a dad. I have my beautiful wife who's been on the journey with me now uh, for 20 plus years. And so uh, I just, I, I saw one thing that made me feel insecure, okay? Some of y'all are past this, some of you haven't arrived at this, but these two started driving here in the last couple of years. When your kids drive away in a motorized vehicle, that's insecurity on steroids. I don't know what you, I mean, I'm telling you. And this one, Hannah Grace, she made me feel insecure the other day because she drove away from the house in a motorized vehicle. She drives off, and I've become my dad. I stand on the front porch and wait. She bebops down the deal. I stand there. I was there the other day waiting for her to get home. When you, you know, we're telling her, when are you getting home? And she's coming home, and I'm standing on the front porch. I had my shirt off. Don't picture it. And there I was, and she pulled up, and when she pulled up, she's missing her right front hubcap. She gets out, she's kind of bebopping up, got all her stuff, you know, and I'm like, Hannah Grace, where's your hubcap? Now, she, you would think she would have some reasonable explanation to a very simple question, but she actually said something that made me feel deeply insecure about sending her to college. She said, Dad, what's a hubcap? We're in trouble. I'm more insecure than I was when he drove off. What's a hubcap? In all seriousness, we could all go through our family stories, our job stories. There's a reason we feel insecure. Because in today's world, there's lots of expectations. There's lots of pressures. There are some unique things about this generation and the world we live in today with expectation and pressure that causes us to feel insecure. Some of you are moms. 
I, I don't assume that every mom listening to me right now, maybe at a campus or in any other place, I don't assume that you are necessarily always at home. Maybe you have a job, you do something. That creates an expectation and pressure because you're doing this and then you feel the pressure of what you're responsible for at home. But moms have a lot of pressure today because the world is looking into a window of your life. And so you have to be able to raise prodigy kids. You have to do everything with grace and style. You have to write a blog. You have to have the perfect Instagram photos of every single meal that you cook. You have a lot of pressure. And it's like, man, am I living up to all of that? Dads, they have pressure. Dads have pressure. They don't ever really admit to it, but dads feel successful in certain parts of life but have insecurities in other parts of life. Sometimes we're insecure when the job world and the work life's not working out. I thought I would find more fulfillment in what I do. Or maybe you find great fulfillment in what you do, but yet you feel a little insecure about your home life. You come into a church like Church of the King, and you hear how you're supposed to be the spiritual leader in your home. You're supposed to lead out spiritually. And you won't tell anyone, but that creates great insecurity because you're like, I don't even know where to start with that. And so you avoid something that you don't feel successful at, yet you know you feel responsible for it. Dads have a lot of pressure. Got to check some things off the bucket list. Got to get the certain retirement number. Lots of pressure. Pressure, expectations, insecurity. Young adults have a lot of pressure today. I should be here by now. I should have finished this by now. I'm single. Is there the right person? Will I find the right person? I should be married by now. I need to get this level of education. Expectations. Not only from the external, but one thing I've learned about insecurity is a lot of it's even on the internal side of the pressure you put on yourself. There's expectation. Youth have so much pressure today. That they've got to be able to, to accomplish all of the things around their lives and then they got to kind of fit in with their wiring and gifting and they got to hit the educational standards. And young, young people today, I have such a heart for them. I, I gathered a group of a cross-section of youth in our city not too long ago. I sat down at a conference table with them and I said, tell me what you're facing. Two minutes into the conversation, I'm crying because I'm listening to the challenges in their home life the challenges of expectation, the challenges now that social media and phones have put on them that they need to have some type of external lifestyle that's a window and a picture to other people. They, got a, they have a feeling that they need to be famous. And so I started listening to their pressure and their anxiety and their challenges and circumstances. And so all of that are reasons why we have so much insecurity bubbling below the surface of us. Some of you are like, Jeff, I'm past the driving phase. I'm past a lot of those phases. I'm an empty nester and all I care about is my grandkids. Come on. But did you know you have insecurities too? Because now when you get in a little phase of life, you start thinking, what legacy will I leave? What will I leave behind? Am I investing in things that will last for eternity? All of this that I built, will it matter when I'm gone? What if I'm not in that position anymore? What does that mean about my identity if I no longer have that role along the way? Empty nesters have that pressure along the way as well. I, I write a chapter as well in the book where I talk about Solomon and all of his possessions and wealth. And if possessions and wealth could solve the insecurity issue, then Solomon would have never written the book of Ecclesiastes. He would have never said that it's actually an empty well that I keep trying to draw out of and it keeps giving me an empty bucket. And so Solomon tells us that just our possessions can't give us the real cure 
for our insecurity. I actually had this thought along the way, and I wanted, this is for some of you that are kind of at that legacy phase of life. Really, your legacy is your identity in reverse. We, we all, it's never too late to solve the identity issue because who you really are to the people you love is what matters the most along the way. And so as we look at our Scripture there that I gave you in Exodus 3.10, I want to share with you a little story from the Bible. And as we look at this big figure in the Bible, Moses, he's such a great picture for us. And, And so we see in him some of the patterns that we have in our own lives. I think a few years ago when I came here, we talked a little bit about Moses, but we emphasized a little bit more of the going I want to I really hone in here on the level of insecurity. Now, Moses ultimately got to his purpose. He ultimately took the steps God had for him. He ultimately fulfilled what God put him on the planet to do, but he battled some insecurity along the way in the journey. Let me give you a little backdrop to Moses. His Egyptian name means son. His Hebrew name means drawn from the waters. If you were to look his name up in, in Wikipedia the big banner over him would be chosen. He's chosen by God, yet he doesn't really understand that that's the stamp that God's put on his life. And so he is put in the Nile River by his mother. He's saved by the king's daughter. He's raised in the king's palace. He's raised with privilege. God protects him. And yet then along the way, he starts seeing some of the attacks that are happening to his people and he kills an Egyptian and he buries him in the sand. And this is his worst version of who he really is. He hits a season where he's not living his best life now. He's not flourishing in his purpose and calling. He actually starts running from God for 40 years until he's found in the desert and God starts calling him into his purpose. What I love about it is in this passage here in Exodus 3.10, right before that, we see God take him at 80 years old. Here's what I love about God. He's not on a timetable. I love this about God. If you're a young person and you've made some mistakes, your mistakes don't have to define you. God can turn around wherever you're at right now, right in one moment, and put you on track to your destiny. It doesn't matter where you're at. And guess what? For some of you, you're like, I still haven't figured out who I am, and it's getting a little late in the game. Good news. God doesn't care if it's late in the game. He calls Moses into his destiny at 80 years old. At 80 years old, there's a theological concept called a theophany. Don't get caught in the big word. It's a manifestation of the real Jesus in the Old Testament. Did you know the Old Testament is a type and a shadow pointing to Jesus? And Jesus himself, through the angel of the Lord, appears in a burning bush. He appears before Moses, and here's what he says to him. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, the age-old question of all of us who are called by God for a purpose, and that is, who am I? Who am I? Because I'm evaluating what you're calling me to through the lens of who I think I am. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites? Look at this. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? But Moses said to God, who am I? He's asking that question, and God said, I will be with you. By the way, that's what God says all the time when you're dealing with insecurity and asking the who am I question. You can see it over and over and over in the Bible. It's kind of like the word fear not. I'm with you is all the way through the Bible. Why? The more disconnected you are from God, the more you struggle with insecurity. 
the more you're disconnected from Him. Nothing can fulfill the longing in the human soul. There's a vacuum there that can only be filled by His presence. So He tells him the answer right off the bat. I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go. I love Moses. He's just kind of chatting with God a little bit. You ever told God, suppose I do that? I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. God's really insecure. He's really trying to build a resume. He goes, you just tell them, I am. I am the foundation of security that everyone is looking for. I am complete, sufficient in and of who I am and myself. He says, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Greater than the who am I question is the answer, and that is God saying, I'm the great I am. I'm the great I am is the answer to the who am I question. Now, the rest of the chapter is Moses arguing with God. You ever argued with God? He's trying to tell you who you are. You're anxious about that kid issue. You're anxious about that job issue. You're anxious about that circumstance. You're anxious about the fact that it's not happening as fast as you thought. But that's not really how I drew it up, God. And God says, I am. I am. I am still on the throne. I am still directing your life. I am. Moses keeps arguing. Suppose I go. What about this? What about that? So he has a little argue moment with God. I love how relatable he is. Moses said to the Lord, though, look over Exodus 410 at the end of the argument, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, look, God says to him, I love this. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes the deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I the Lord, he says, now let's get back to what I've called you to. Let's not let insecurity take over your life. I'm the one that made your mouth. I'm the one that designed you. What you think is a quirk, listen to this. What you think is a quirk that makes you insecure is actually one of the ways God has actually designed you and fashioned you. Look what he says here. I'll help you speak. I'll teach you what to say. And Moses said to the Lord, I don't know if you've ever said this, pardon your servant again, Lord, if if you hadn't heard my argument. Can you please find somebody else? Can you find somebody else? Insecurity comes to all of us, even a great figure in the Bible like Moses. And you're looking at me, you're like, you're this bald, big pastor from Texas, you know, and you've been walking with God. I grew up in a Christian home, started pastoring, but I, I tell you, All of us deal with insecurity. All of us. When I was a young kid, I I had this call on my life, but I I, I had these things. I was called to ministry at 12 years old, had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I was scared of it, didn't know how it would work out. I had kind of an intuitive brain. I was imaginative. I, I, I had fears and I had ways I could see things. By the way, be patient with your children, some of you young parents. They're working it out. You don't even know what you may have them drawn up as. You don't even know where they may end up along the way and how God's fashioning their story. One of my favorite stories to tell, I found myself then coming into leadership positions and stuff. And even when I was a young guy, I started playing baseball. And uh, we played t-ball. Played t-ball first, where I grew up in northeast Texas. We played t-ball first, then you went right to a person 
that is your age throwing a hard object by themselves just without any type of help at you. And I just, I was kind of like a guy who thought through scenarios. I told my dad, I was like, he's going to hit me. I mean, this is not cool. He said, get out there, boy. You know, we didn't have coach pitch. You know what I'm saying? Look, come on now, hit it. Full-on kid, big old kid. I stand up there. My first at bat, big kid right there after T-ball, throws the ball, hits me, bam. I'm like, well, I'm done with that. I quit. What are you, we're going to do this? I mean, what are we thinking? My dad's about six foot seven, big old man. He came up to me and said, boy, if you're going to act like that, you go sit with your mother. I said, I'm great with that. That's awesome. I'll go sit with mom right now. I mean, you just kidding me? Get a snow cone up here? I had insecurities. You know, I started pastoring a local church as a 21-year-old. I was a pastor. I was pastoring people that walked with Moses when this burning bush moment happened. And I would have to preach to them. And they're like, you don't know anything about marriage. You don't know anything about, you know. And I, and I, I remember every weekend thinking, how am I going to share with these people something? And, and so why am I telling you that? We all have insecurities. All of us do. What do we do about it? I want to give you four ways to live more securely. Four ways to live more securely. If you're there in the Justice Center, you're with us there at the Gulf Coast campus. Here's four ways Four ways to live more securely. Number one, don't put your security in anything that cannot sustain it. Don't put it in anything that can't sustain it. Remember, not focus on who am I, focus on the great I am. The great I am can sustain it. Whatever you put your identity in the most has the greatest potential to produce insecurity in you. We love our children. I'm going to tell you, we want to help them, we want to develop them, we want to coach them, but I'm going to tell you, they're a terrible place to put your identity because they're working it out. We, we don't put our identity in our children. We don't put it in our business. If business is going good, guess what? It'll lift you up, but then guess what? If challenges come, it can tear you down. We don't want to put it in the good things, in the successful areas of our life, the places that we're doing well. We, we don't want to put it in our failures. We don't want to be identified by our failures because our failures and identifying ourselves now is, now you went through a divorce, so now I'm going to identify myself as a divorcee. If you identify yourself that way, then that identity can't sustain you getting to your future. Bad things, good things. You may have been through freedom, and you found some freedom here. I love that. We do that with you. Freedom groups. And if you haven't been through it, you should. You should join into it. People get freedom, but guess what? We don't put our identity in our recovery. We don't put it in our freedom. We don't put it in our latest revelation from the Bible. Have you ever seen people, they get real excited about one dimension of God. And then they put their whole identity in one area of Scripture that can't sustain. God says, look, I'm not just one little piece. I'm the great I am. I'm a lot bigger than all of that. So we don't put our identity in anything that can't really sustain it along the way. Here's number two. Lean into your weakness to leverage more of God's strength. Lean into, yes, I said, lean into your weakness. I said weakness. In our culture, cover your weakness. Hide from your weakness. Don't tell anyone about your weakness, but in God's economy, the weakness is many times the very area from which, Bible story after Bible story, from which God displays His greatest glory and power. What you're seeing right now is the thing that has disrupted your future or destiny 
may be the very place God brings purpose into your life. Look at this verse of Scripture. I love it right here. But he said to me, my grace is kind of adequate. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. This is Paul talking. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest in me. You see this power upon me. This power is displayed in the actual weak areas of our life. Number one section of our bookstores are the self-help section. And I'm not against any kind of positive affirmation as long as it doesn't violate Scripture. I'm not a prude. I'm not a critical, hard person. I mean, I like positive people. I like, but, but here's, a, here's something that we need to make sure we adjust. I want some of you to hold on to a promise and a principle that can help you with the who am I question, not just something that sort of covers that weakness like, like a self-help sort of anecdotal kind of concept can actually lead us to more insecurity. Because self-help would be, you need to have self-esteem, self-help, self-strength. But in the Bible, if you want to know one of the themes of the New Testament, especially from Paul, his theme is a two-word phrase there, in Christ. In Christ. Actually, in our weakness, Christ is able to come and be the display of power if we'll lean in to our weaknesses to leverage more of God's strength. I had a lady, I was, I was uh, signing books at another church and I had a lady come up to me and she said she had a tragic car accident and she was burned on half of her body. She said, I've been going through the Who Am I book and I realized that the very thing I look in the mirror and identify myself as a burn victim, that God could actually use that as a place of my weakness to actually be a place that He could display His glory. And so what I did, which is a principle all the time when you're dealing with insecurity, is to get outside of yourself and begin to see how God can use that to help others. And it's amazing how this flow of His power and the flow of His grace starts coming to you in your weak areas as you start giving out. And so she went to the local hospital and started working through with others this who am I question. And she started having some impact in several places. I told her that we would give her all the books she needs to go help burn victims. Well, you, you may have that a type of disability or some kind of event that happened to you, but all of us have scars in our lives. We have challenges. We have weak places. We have errant places where we don't feel personally strong. And God says to us, it's in that place I want to show my power. In fact, I've come to know this. Here's what I've come to know. And that is that God doesn't just work around our insecurities. He doesn't just say, well, you have some insecurities there. I'm just going to work around that. Let's try to suppress that. Let's try to push that down. He says, you know what? I'm actually going to take those things and work through them in your life. I'm going to actually use them and work through them. Here's number three. I'm going to get more practical with you right here. You're like, what do I really do? Because I'm dealing with some anxiety and worry and pressure, and I'm feeling insecure about some important areas of my life, Pastor. What do I really do? Well, here's where the battle is won. Submit your self-talk and your thoughts to the truth of God's Word. Your pastor's really great at this. It's one of the things he's imparted to me, is this, this whole idea of holding on to the promises of God and letting them be greater than your insecurities. It's where the real battle is won. Now, now I played, again, I know soccer right now is all over the globe, and I realize I'm out of touch 
I, I am in the dark ages because there's like billions of people watching it. I grew up in Texas. We play not with a round ball. We play with a brown pigskin football. Come on, somebody. That's what we do. And so I grew up playing football, and uh, I played offensive line. I, I'm not as sharp as your pastor. He played wide receiver. He has beautiful hair, too. I'm just, you know, kind of. He's all the time telling me about my outfits. Jeff, you need to spruce up. I'm like, nobody cares what a coach looks like. You can wear like bike shorts and stuff, sweat, panther around. It doesn't matter. But anyway, I played offensive line. We never got any credit. You never make the headlines. You pray for the day you get to recover a fumble or run a thing. And so I know this, though. You may not get any headlines, but that's where the fight is won, right there in the front, Right? I mean, that's where the battle is won. I coached our Little League teams when, it, when my son was growing up. He's 17 now, and I coached our Little League teams, and we dominated. You know what I'm saying? That's a different message. But anyway, I would yell out to my little guys, where's it one at? They'd yell back, in the trenches, coach. You want to know where anxiety, insecurity, and its friend fear and all that and negative emotion, you know where the real trenches are? It's right here. It's right here. When you study spiritual warfare, some of you may be new to that, spiritual warfare in the New Testament, most of the time, the greatest, most heated battle is happening right in here. So you have to know how to submit that self-talk. you got to submit that, I'm defined by that failure in business. I'm defined by that kid who's struggling. I'm defined by this health issue. I'm defined by that. No, that's not who I am. And you need to start reminding yourself, I'm in Christ. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You start getting those promises and you just put a wet blanket on that insecurity with the truth from God's Word. If you don't have any of these promises, look, I post them around. I put them on my mirror. I put them on my dash of my car. You better get some promises to push that down. I was talking to my 18-year-old. She sings. And she was singing at a big event on a big stage. And she was that week. I said, how you doing? How you doing, girl? Like Tuesday, she said, Dad, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm anxious about it. I'm worried. And so I started preaching to her. I said, look, honey, just make it about the people. Did you know there's somebody out there who just received a health diagnosis that they're scared about? Somebody out there struggling in their marriage. Somebody has a friend that is way off the reservation and their heart hurts for them. Just sing and do it for Jesus and try to help them connect with the Jesus that cares about what they're going through. I said, do that. Now here's what happened. On Thursday night, I had to pray at an event. I was sitting down at the front. They said, Jeff, go give a prayer. All these big people that I really respect, you know, and they're, they're in the room, you know, and they said, I want you to pray. And, and as I was walking over there, everything was great. And I grabbed, like, like here at the Little Creek campus, there's a little deal over there, you know, you walk up the stage and I grabbed the thing. I started feeling insecure and nervous. I'm like, wow, I got to preach my own message to myself. And from there to the place I prayed, I had to say, you know what? It's not about me anyway. I'm praying to the great I am. I'm not, it's not really about who am I. It's about who he is. So I had to preach that to myself. You better learn how to preach to yourself. You got to learn how to push that self-talk down. Here's the final one. The final one. Focus more on what God's doing in you than what others say or think about you. C.S. Lewis says it this way, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's removing your inadequacies, moving your past failures or past successes from the equation and letting, again, God Himself be what you focus on. You can get so absorbed 
with what people on social media think about you or what people are saying about you or your profile or your position or what the people at the office say or what about the other moms at school say or what you can get so focused on that you can lose sight of. What does God say? And focus more on what He's doing in you. I want to say again, your pastor taught me this along the way in my journey as a pastor. And and just even the way I lead and think. There's a stewardship mindset. Let me say this to some of you young people. Being famous is not the goal. Being faithful is the goal. Being faithful in the garden. Steward the garden. We're living for well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're living to hear from God. And so what do we focus on? You know what can really get insecurity stirred up? Being overly consumed and paranoid about what everybody else is thinking. Let me help you with something. You know what they're not thinking about? You. They're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about their own insecurities. Now, I'm not saying we live rogue and I'm just going to do whatever I want. No, you have to have counselors and trusted advisors and you have to know what the Word of God says. But once you get the Word of God clear, clear and God speaks through His Word, God speaks by the Holy Spirit and God always confirms it with relationships and you get some good counsel and you get some people around you, at that point, if you know you're doing what God's called you to do, focus on pleasing Him. Focus on, I'm doing this for you, Jesus. I'm doing this for your agenda in the earth. And insecurity will start to get pressed down. I want to tell you one story and then I want to pray for you. I want to pray for maybe some areas you're facing insecurity and challenge. I was at our step one. We have a step one just like you have a step one. and I was at it a little while back and I, I was there. I met some just fantastic people and Um, And so at the end of the line, as I was shaking hands, there was this 23-year-old girl. And she waited to talk to me, and I I waited. She got there, and and she just said, Pastor, i got to tell you, I'm just going through so much transition, and so many things have been shaking in my life. I'm having trouble feeling grounded. I said, well, what's going on? She said, well, I graduated from college, and I've had two jobs that didn't work out, and and so I've moved a little bit. recently recommitted myself and my life to Christ and I have my friends and my family members around me that I don't have a lot of support. I recently moved here and, and this is heavy. She said, I, I lost my best friend. My best friend passed away in a tragic accident and, and my boyfriend broke off our engagement. And I don't know, I, I just, the compassion of God just started going out. I just started just feeling just, Wow. No wonder you feel a little insecure and anxious. You've had so much around your life, but here's here's what I conveyed to her, and your story may be different that I want to convey to you. And that is, I told her, I said, God's proud of you and I'm proud of you because you could have let all of the shakiness of your life cause you to live crippled and paralyzed in fear, but with no support from your family in a new city where you knew no one You took a spiritual step today to step out and come to 101 and learn about what God's doing in the earth and get connected. And I want you to know I'm proud of you. She started crying. I drove away that day from the church and I thought how simple it is a lot of times in this area of insecurity. It's it's complex because it's emotional and it's spiritual and the enemy's attacking. But a lot of times we're so hung up on what are they saying and what about this? It's as simple as just taking a next spiritual step. What is that next spiritual step that you need to take? Maybe like her, you need to really surrender yourself to Jesus. I mean, really surrender to Him. 
Maybe you're plagued by your past. You're in the justice center or in the jail there and you're like, my life is over. I'm defined by that. No, you're not. No, you're not. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe you need to take a step and come to 101 today so that you can find some friends and relationships. I don't know what it is. I do know this. The insecurity that you're feeling is not God's plan for you. And God wants to say to you like He said to Moses, if He can do it for Moses, He can do it for you. I'm greater. I'm the great I am. I want you to bow your heads with me right now. And some of you who say, I've never, I've, I've, I really need to just surrender to Jesus, Jeff. I'm just, I know that is my step. And I want you right now just to say to him, Jesus, here I am, all of me. All of me. I give you my life. I give you myself. I give you my future. I surrender to you. I believe you died for me, rose from the dead. I, I commit myself to you. If you'd prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to let us know. Fill out a card. Come to 101. Help, let us help you in your journey. But how many of you might be honest, maybe online or even in this room right now, how many of you might be honest to say, Pastor Jeff, I believe this message is for me because I've been dealing with some insecurities and maybe some things have been going on in your life. Would you just pray for me that God would show up? Would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Thank you for your courage to raise your hand. Hands around this room. Lord, we all feel it. I believe there's some, though, in this room right now where it's, it's been particularly paralyzing. And I'm asking you to break the power of the enemy to stop them, to paralyze them, to hold them back, and that you would move them forward into the plan you have for them. And we come against the fear, the insecurity, the anxiety, and we ask for your peace. May they leave encouraged today with your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, Church of the King.